1: 8474. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce our morning devotions, our chapel speaker. Uh, the Reverend Chad Brewer uh, is a minister in the PCA and currently an RUF minister. For those of you that are unfamiliar with RUF, it stands for Reformed University Fellowship. It is a university campus ministry of the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. <clears throat> and They can talk a little bit more about it, Pat, and the other guests that are here. Let me quickly introduce them. Pat Roach is here, here is the area coordinator for the West uh, and Keith Berger is the area coordinator for RUF from the, for the Southwest. Uh, well, well um, uh, what is that, Chad uh, is now at UC Irvine, starting an RUF there. Uh, he's been there since 2015. Prior to that, he was at the RUF at the University of Minnesota and planted a church there, was there for about seven years. And then prior to that, he was doing an RUF at Penn State University. Uh, Then prior to that, he was at the University of Missouri doing RUF. So he has a lot of experience, and we're thankful that he's here in the West Coast uh, starting in RUF at UC Irvine. He graduated from Covenant Seminary. He is married to Christy and has three daughters. Chad, we're glad that you're here. Please bring God's Word to us. Good morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter
0: 8, looking at verses 9 to 24. I'll pray for us, and then I'll read the text. Father, thank you for this chance to come together in your word. Lord, would you use this word to encourage us uh, in your love and in your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 24. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands They come upon me. I remember well the day that I left my home in Maryland to go to seminary in St. Louis. It was my last Saturday living at my parents' house. And the Friday night before that last Saturday, I had a friend named Steph who came to see me, wanted to say goodbye to me. She came late that night after 10, and my father, who went to bed early around 9, I forgot to tell him that stuff was coming that night. Now, what you need to know to understand what was about to happen next is that growing up in my house, on Saturdays uh, through the years, my dad would love to wake me up in awkward and obnoxious ways. Sometimes he would rip the covers off of me in the winter. Other times he would pour water on my head to wake me up. Sometimes he would jump on me like Jimmy Superfly Snuka from pro wrestling fame and land on me. The worst is when he would lick his finger and stick it in my ear, the wet willy. Well, that Saturday, my dad knew it was my last Saturday in his house, so he wanted to send me out with a bang that morning. The only problem was that I was sleeping downstairs in the family room And that Steph was sleeping in my bed. So Saturday morning, my dad gets up and I can see, I can picture what he did. He, he sneaks down the steps. He turns the doorknob and he sneaks in and he sees what he thinks is me lying on my side with my backside facing him with the covers pulled over my head like a hood. And so dad sneaks over to me. He makes his plan. And he takes his hand back. And he swings with authority and force and smacks what he thinks is me on my backside. And then he says this, Wake up, Little Red Riding Hood. The big bad wolf has come to get you. (laughs) I kid you not, our dating relationship ended that day. That's a true story. Have you figured out what the big bad wolf of our culture is that wants to get you. Do you know what the big bad wolf is today for Christians in our culture, especially for Christians who are entering into ministry? It's the desire to make a name for ourselves. Uh, Dr. Keith Abloh, who's a psychiatrist who works for a major news outlet, quotes a study by French psychologist. Jean Twenge, who has found that narcissism in college students is up 30% over the last 30 years. Ablo-, Ablo continues in his article, I have been warning about this trend as the single greatest threat to our culture for years because a narcissistic people lost in the pursuit of something as vanishing as notoriety, making a name for oneself, is a people who cannot summon real character nor empathize with one another nor pursue momentous deeds nor achieve genuine greatness. Dr. Abloh says the big bad wolf of our culture that is eating us up is the desire to make a name for ourselves. But we know that this desire to make a name for oneself is not new. It's what John the Baptist was wrestling with when he said, he must become greater and I must become less. And this is what we see with Simon the Great here in Acts chapter 8. He's struggling with wanting to make a name for himself at any cost, and he's willing to use the ministry of the gospel to do so. This morning, I want us to look at three things from this passage. That the name of God is advancing in Samaria, that Simon is trying to make a name for himself in ministry, and that only God can make a name for us. That is great. We see the name of God advancing. The context here in in Acts chapter 8 is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's advancing, and it's doing what seemed impossible. It's doing the improbable. The Samaritans received the word of God. Verse 12 tells us that Philip preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the Samaritans, they believed it and they were baptized. And this is pretty amazing when we realize that we're talking about the Samaritans. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. Think of the person in your extended family that you least think would ever come to faith in Christ. For these new Jewish believers, for them it was the Samaritans. For the new followers of Jesus, it was hard to imagine Samaria receiving the word of God. There had been a thousand years of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans, between Jerusalem and Samaria. In the fifth century, during the, after the Babylonian captivity, Samaria offers to help the Jews build, rebuild the temple. And the Jews say, Absolutely not. The fourth century, the Samaritans build their own temple, rival temple on Mount Gerizim. They did not accept the word of God. They only held to the first five books of the Torah. And the Jews hated these false followers of God. In fact, so much so that when the Samaritans reject Jesus in Luke chapter 9, John is so upset that he approaches Jesus and he says, Jesus, do I have your permission to call down holy fire from heaven so we can burn these nasty Samaritans up? And yet we see here that the Samaritans receive the word of God. And the word of God is powerful and it wins the day. And the name of God is advancing and it's becoming great. And it's advancing and becoming great even with the Samaritans. This is exactly what God had promised. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. God is saying to Abram, go, you will make my name great, but I will be the one who will give you a great name. Right before this in Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And when the people of the earth had come together, they said, come, let us build a tower that goes up into the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. And God in his kindness would not let these people do that. We see this pattern in scripture that goes all the way back to Genesis that those who try to make a name for themselves harm themselves. So God confuses their language to discipline them, to protect them. The only good, the only right, the only safe place is when the name of God alone is great. And here in Acts chapter 8, the name of God is spreading and it's becoming known even among the Samaritans. But Luke includes the cautionary tale of a Samaritan named Simon the Great. And Simon is trying to make a name for himself in ministry. We come to Acts 8 and we see this unique situation where the Samaritans, they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they are baptized, but they do not receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the typical way that the Spirit comes to believers after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, 38 tells us that the pattern is repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit, but the Samaritans did not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed and were baptized. So the question is why? Well, if we go back to chapter one, verse eight in Acts, this verse serves as a table of contents for us for the rest of the book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem chapter one, Judea chapter two, Samaria chapter 3, to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel is advancing in stages. And so here in Acts chapter 8, it's the beginning of a new phase, a new chapter in redemptive history. The Samaritans are receiving the word of God. And it's unbelievable. Our friend Dennis Johnson says in his commentary, here the Spirit's incorporating grace was separated from the Spirit's regenerating grace until the apostles show up to mediate the Spirit's gifts through prayer and the laying on of hands. This is a landmark event that people are witnessing, including Simon the Great. And it's here that Simon the Great sees an opportunity to make a name for himself. Peter and John come to Samaria. They are laying their hands on these new believers, and the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon them. And Simon the Great wants in on the action. He's already witnessed the response that that Philip has received when the Spirit was working through him. In fact, we are told that at one time, everyone was paying attention to Simon the Great, verse 11. But now, verse 6, Luke says everyone is now paying attention to Philip. And Simon, who used to have a great name, he wants a name again. And he wanted to use the stage of ministry to have a name for himself. So Simon asked the apostles, Peter and John, for the power of the Holy Spirit, that he could bestow the Holy Spirit when he laid hands on these new believers. And it would be his greatest magic trick of all time. But Peter reads right through Simon's intentions. And Peter says this, "'May your silver perish with you "'because you thought you could obtain "'the gift of God with money. "'You, neither, you have neither part nor lot in this ministry.'" for your heart is not right before God. The J.B. Phillips translation says, to hell with you and your money. It's obvious to Peter that Simon is not looking to make the name of God great, but that he's looking to make a name for himself. I remember my first night of ministry after graduating from seminary i'd begun a new job at the university of missouri i was replacing uh, a campus minister and so my first evening of ministry i was going to meet with the student leaders who had already been there uh, been involved with the ruf at the university of missouri we were going to meet for dinner to talk about the upcoming year i remember i knocked on the door at seven o'clock And uh, the student who owned the apartment answered the door and he let me in. He said, I'm sorry, I have to run back and get food out of the oven. So I walked into the apartment and nobody was in the apartment. And I just walked over to the sliding glass door. and I just was standing there about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, the sliding glass door opened from the outside. And outside on the deck were six students from the leadership team who had been waving at me to get my attention. But I never saw them because I wasn't looking at them, but I was looking at my reflection in the glass door. And that has often been a picture of what my ministry has been at times. Instead of looking at my God, instead of looking at my sheep, I've been looking at myself. I remember when I became a new Christian uh, when I was in college, I remember being amazed by Tony Campolo. Does anybody know who Tony Campolo is? He teaches at Eastern University. He's, a, he's an older man now. But as a new Christian, I was amazed by the way he could communicate. He could have you laughing one minute and your belly hurt so hard from laughing, and then the next minute you would be in tears because of the brokenness of the world. And I wanted a stage like Tony Campolo had. I wanted the power that he had to move and to affect people, in part because he was doing good for the kingdom, but also in part because people loved and adored him. I wanted what he had. And maybe you want to be a prophetic voice for this generation. Maybe you want to be the next Tim Keller. Maybe you want to be a leader of pastors, this generation's Eugene Peterson. Maybe you would like to be one who stirs people up with the gospel, a Martin Luther. Maybe you would like to be a voice for the future counselors, a Paul David Tripp. Maybe you want to write music for the church like Charles Wesley. The danger is that the big bad wolf that lurks behind these good kingdom desires is often to make a name for ourselves. And it's easy for the pulpit to become a different kind of stage for us. Some of you were good at sports, and the athletic field was your stage where you made a name for yourself. For some of you, it was arts. For some of you, maybe it was dance. For for some of you, it was the academic classroom. You were always so good. Uh, For some of you, it's been your appearance. People have always noticed the way you look. For some of you, it's because of your sense of humor. And the danger is that all of us, Even for us, a little bit, we've experienced that glory, that intoxicating feel of people knowing us and appreciating us. And the line, the line between working hard to be the best pastor, the best counselor, the best preacher, the best author for the sake of the kingdom of God, or working hard for the sake of your own name is razor thin. And the great irony here is that Simon was trying to n- make a name for himself by using the gospel when he could have had an even greater name because of the gospel. Only God can give us a name that is great. Have you ever heard of the city called Malchunk, Pennsylvania? Anybody heard of that city Malchunk, Pennsylvania? I, I assume not. It-, it hasn't been called Malchunk since 1953. Uh, it- in 1953, the town was given a new name, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and it was named after the same Jim Thorpe who still many believe today to be the greatest athlete who ever lived. Jim Thorpe who won the 1912 Olympic gold medal in the pentathlon. Jim Thorpe who won the 1912 Olympic gold medal in the, in the decathlon. Jim Thorpe who was a professional baseball player. The same Jim Thorpe who was a professional football player and who was in the Hall of Fame. After he had died, his widow was offering the name of Jim Thorpe to any town that was willing to pay for it. And Mulchonk at one time had been a thriving uh, town in northeastern Pennsylvania because of the railroads. At one point, there were more millionaires per capita who lived in Mulchonk than any place in the US. But as the railroad business declined, so did the name and the city, it began to decline as well. And so, to desperate to regain its glory, they were willing to pay thousands of dollars to buy a name for themselves. How much are you willing to pay to have a great name? How much are you willing to give up to make a name for yourself? Are you willing to work crazy long hours in ministry? Are you willing to injure your marriage to make a name for yourself? Are you willing to weaken your character in pursuit of a great name the prophet Isaiah makes an offer to us he says come everyone who thirsts come to the waters come he who has no money and buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost and Isaiah doesn't say this but it's true come and buy a name without cost to you but at great cost to Jesus in the gospel There is a quenching of our thirst with a name. There is a new name, a greater name that we can have for free. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is writing to the church at Philadelphia. And this is what he says. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And I will write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And I will write on him my own new name. For those in Christ, we have a name. It's a new name. Your first name will be the name of God. Your middle name will be the name, the new Jerusalem. And your last name is the new name of Jesus. We have a name in Christ. Some 60 years after Malchong bought a new name for themselves. Very few visitors today come to visit the Jim Thorpe Memorial that stands there in the center of town. Fewer and fewer dollars come into the city from the name of Jim Thorpe. In fact, fewer and fewer people even know who Jim Thorpe ever was. The significance of the name of Jim Thorpe is fading. And a disappointed and disenchanted city of Jim Thorpe councilman said very crassly, all we saw were dollar signs, and all we got was a dead Indian. But there is a name available to all who call on Jesus. Not a name of a dead man, but the name of a resurrected Son of God. The name of one who, who was, who is, and who will be. Not the name of just a great athlete, but the name of the one who gave life and legs to every athlete who has ever lived. The name of one who's not just defeated teams, but has defeated the greatest enemy, sin and death. The name of the one who bought a new name for us by his blood, and it's the name that will never fade away nor be forgotten. It's a name that is yours, and you can't lose this name because it was never yours to gain in the first place. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us a name, it's a great name. Lord, we desire glory, and we sometimes desire your glory. And there's something beautiful about glory that you made us in a glorious way, and yet, Lord, because of sin, um, we we twist that around. Lord, it's amazing that you would love us. Lord, that you would want to bestow glory on us when we have not sought it, but you have sought us. Lord, you've been kind to us and gracious and loving. Lord, may these people always live to make the name of Jesus great. Thank you. Pray for this place. Love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.